0: Bill and Bob's bracket busting bonanza. I'm Bob. I'm here with Bill. Hey, Bob. Bill, uh,
1: we have reached the final four. blue It's a blue blood final four for sure. I know. After all those upsets and we get four of the five blue bloods in college basketball, like Kentucky is would be the other one you would throw in there. Yeah,
0: Kentucky is the only missing school. Villanova more of the new school of uh, blue blood, but... Vi-
1: but if any schools a blue blood now, I think it's Oh, over. they are
0: in that category for sure now. Uh, especially when you look at their student body, they
1: um, kind of exemplify blue blood for sure. That is true. The last vestiges of the prep school um, kids. Yes, the kids
0: actually say some mean things. About Villanova and some of the nicknames, but I won't say it. As the, we're a we're a pro whisker nation podcast, everybody knows that by now. Yep. So that's on the east side of the uh, the right side of the bracket. Villanova plays Kansas um, on the left side. We have Duke, North Carolina, Duke coming out of the west uh, after Gonzaga goes down in. I don't even want to say a place of glory in the
1: Sweet Sixteen. Uh, again, they they never got. I mean, they, after the second half, they they just never got back in in the second half, in the way that they should have. Their guard play was really what ended up killing them in the whole tournament. It was it was really unfortunate. You know, there they there there were some really questionable calls on uh, on the big guy on Holmgren, um, yeah, on Holmgren, but. Um, but I mean he, he didn't show up in the first half. He had a donut in the first half anyway. It's like he didn't he didn't play that well. It was like Timmy Timmy basically willed them to, to the two victories they had. They were lucky to be in the sweet 16. So I think that they just weren't that, you know. Their their guard play was not good and if they they didn't hit a lot of threes, they weren't going to play well. And and Homegren's just that.
0: Holmgren had spent the first half basically on the bench with two fouls and actually really it took him to his sixth uh, sixth half of basketball to actually do anything. He scored like eleven points in the early goings of the second half.
1: Yeah, he played well in the second half. I, I will give him And I mean, I still think he's a great rim protector, and I think he's he's got some other things. But I don't think it would be the worst thing for him to stay a year. I know he's gonna, he's he's, you know, the the dollar signs are there for the NBA, but um, he he does need to put on some weight, and he needs to like. There's a lot of parts of his game where that got exposed in the postseason playing against tougher stronger um more physical players down low like he, he, he you know he, he still blocks some shots but he, you could tell he gets pushed around a little bit more yeah especially offensively
0: oh yeah 100 i I'm, i agree with that that if he came if he came back i think it would be really good for him um, just from it's not like he's going to fall out of the top five if he comes
1: back uh, no and and nowadays like guys could take insurance out on stuff yeah. like that like Lloyds of London will write that policy in a heartbeat. Oh, yeah, 100%. And it's also like, you know, you look at, like, was Porzingis' first year really that useful
0: for him? No. I actually think the fair comparison, although he didn't have the scoring that, um, was Kevin Durant.
1: I think that you're really reaching Durant,
0: Well, Durant was such an elite scorer uh, in college. I'm just saying their frame is very similar.
1: See, that's where I go with Porzingis. I think he is like when young Porzingis, before Porzingis like put on a little bit more weight, when Porzingis was uh, really skinny his rookie year because I look at the way Holmgren shoots the ball and he's he's not Dark Nowitzki. Like he's not making 44% of his threes. He's like 30-something percent. Like he's good enough that it's like he can shoot and make the open threes. But he hasn't, it, that part of his game hasn't fully developed yet, and, and shooting wise, hasn't fully developed. But like Porzingis, he's a good rim protector. He can handle it just enough, you know, not, he, like he can bring the ball up a little bit. But like you saw when they pressed him, he, he did get a little jittery, had a couple turnovers.
0: Let me ask you this I pulled up Porzingis' stats since we got on it. He actually played, he started and played all 72 games his rookie season, 28 minutes a game. He averaged 14 points and seven boards in his rookie season. you think Holmgren could put up then, the, those numbers?
1: Then, yeah, yeah. So, so here's my thing, right? So he didn't build up to that 72 game season in his rookie year, and so then the the next three years he doesn't play full seasons. Yep. He's hurt for large portions of the next couple of seasons. Stuff like that happens with big guys. It's so like the way that Embiid is is now that like has grown into his body, right? And Embiid after, you know, they really babied him for a long time, probably too much, but like now he, Embiid's a reliable guy. He's gonna play 65 plus games a year, it, you know, it, for, for Philadelphia and he's an MVP guy. It's like, I think sometimes with guys like that who are so gangly and young, it's like he's got time. It's uh, I think another 32, 33 game season. You know, he starts to he grows a little bit more into his body, and then maybe next year he goes to the pros. But I don't. I, I still think he's going to get drafted.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I actually think he would have been better suited um, if he had like. I mean, if Suggs was on the team, Suggs was never going to come back. But if he had a point guard like Suggs, I just think Nebhard he really showed his true self in the tournament. Like, just once you, once the step-up in competition happened, he really fell off. Like, did not play well against J.D. Note in the Sweet 16 at all. No. I mean, that's, I mean, that's exactly it. Actually, the one thing that I thought was huge for Arkansas during their run was the play, and we said it, was Arkansas needed a second score to step up, and Jalen Williams had a real, real good tournament for Arkansas. Yes. I mean, right there with him. Note didn't have the best tournament, and then...
1: No, but he's a volume guy, so yeah. it's like, like it, you know, he only shot 38%, but he shook so many oh, shots yeah. that it kind of evens out at some point in time in a defensive game.
0: And he also made his presence felt on the defensive end, which is something that we had pointed out, that he's a two-way player. And it's Yeah, like,
1: I mean, I told you I liked Arkansas, but, um, but I still remain, like... Um, I just didn't think they had enough in them to get all of the wins that they ended up getting. Um, so it, you know, I, I I thought Duke was going to be able to handle them, which they did, because it was like, you know, coming off the high of beating Gonzaga it was going to be a difficult for them. They didn't even play that phenomenally against Gonzaga. One of the main things I wanted to take away, and I didn't get to say this because I wasn't on the podcast. I was uh, away in Sweden uh, last week. So I did stream the games thanks to... Uh, a good friend who suggested trying to get a, a VPN bouncing in, bouncing my signal off the state. So I was able to stream the games uh, at night, which was nice, very late, but still. Uh, like I just never adjusted to the change in time. Um, but but one thing I, I picked up early in the tournament was free throw shooting was such a difference maker in the early games of the tournament. It's like, when you saw teams go out early, free throw shooting killed them. So like a couple of the... Um, Cinderella's that I liked that the ones that didn't work out so like Vermont um, in particular rings a bell and, and, um, and this also applies to Gonzaga later in the tournament they didn't make their free throws and the teams that they were playing even though they might not have been great free throw shooting teams like Arkansas made their free throws and it's like that's the huge difference. St. Peter's made their free throws. Villanova's the best free throw shooting team perhaps of all time if you look at the numbers I think Harvard might be a a tick ahead of them. Nope. is like, still ahead of them. When Villanova gets a lead late in a game, it's very difficult to come back against them. And it's like, you watched what happens with a lot of these teams and, and that's one of the things I, I look to with Gonzaga. So it's like, yet Holmgren missed a significant amount of free throws. Gonzaga's guards missed some free throws. And then, you can't say anything negative about Timmy because the guy, like, was it, it, his, the game he played in the round of 32 his second half was one of the all-time second halves, twenty-something points. But it was like that didn't even tell the story because it was like he, the first thirteen or fifteen points out of the half were all Timmy. They were down ten points and he got them back in the game. And it's like every time they needed a bucket, they went to him. But you know he's not a good free throw shooter. He'll be, he'll probably be back next year for his senior season. But if he has to work on one thing, it's it's shooting.
0: Yeah, I, I agree there. It's actually funny you brought up. A- free throw shooting, because that's one of the things that I was gonna highlight in the um, Villanova-Kansas game. Um, Kansas, not to get too far into it, did not shoot free throws well at all in their game against Miami, and Villanova, as you've mentioned, I mean, they're right now record-breaking free throw shooting. They still remain ahead of Harvard um, at like, I think it's like 82 and a a frack.
1: 82-5 or 82-4, something like that.
0: And yeah, it doesn't, I, they, I mean, they're just historically uh, good whether they finish in first or second, but it looks like they'll probably finish in first or free throw shooting. So definitely something that to keep our eye on. It goes against the way we've done things in the past, but we'll stay on the east side since we, we kind of touched on Villanova, Kansas already. Villanova winning the South Regional as the two seed uh, beat Houston in the in the Elite Eight, and they will face Kansas. Uh, Kansas came out of the Midwest. They were the only number one seed to advance to the Final Four. Uh, they beat the ten seed in uh, in what was going to be the yeah Cinderella team in Miami.
1: Yeah, they are. They they had kind of a, a really cupcake draw, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Kansas. Yeah. Like they had um, Creighton, and then who did they have in the uh, in the next round they in had- the round of? They had Providence the in 66 oh, they had was Providence, the final. yeah, and and Prov- it was like Providence ran out of gas. They 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 hung around a little while in that second half, but they got themselves they dug themselves too big a hole early, so they weren't able to quite get enough to get back into it. They didn't have Providence to have enough scoring, in my opinion. It's like they 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 just went through these huge droughts of scoring. Put it this way, I'm not a, I was not very impressed with Kansas's run to the final four but sometimes that's the way it works
0: yeah it it certainly is is the draw sometimes that that gets it there kansas even in the miami game miami looked like they were kind of I, as much as st peter's at a real good tournament miami almost looked like the the team of destiny where they were going to be the team to actually break into the final four um with the way they played and they i mean you could say that they had a fairly easy go of it because they played they beat auburn auburn really in a really weird kind of game against miami never got going from jabari smith or um or kessler and then they and then they get iowa state who's just a team that couldn't score so once once you surpassed 60 points iowa state was never going to catch you and then yeah miami in the first half, was hanging with Kansas, and then Kansas blew the doors off in the second half and showed what they were capable of. Now, thing in that game, and I'm, I'm pulling it up now. Kansas did not shoot free throw well; uh, did not shoot free throws well at all. And we've already kind of touched on how um, Vonova has historically. It, they're on an incredible pace for for their season. So, two things stood out to me in that Elite Eight game. Um, against uh against Miami so Kansas shoots 13 of 26 from the free throw line they were at 50 50 percent and early in or it's at some point in the first half they were they were sub that they were shooting in like the 30s or the 40s from the free throw line if you're missing that many free throws you are not going to beat Villanova. I don't care if Justin Moore plays or not. You are just, you're just—you're not going to win that game. You just can't. You can't leave that many points at the free throw line and not take advantage. Because yep. Villanova's not going to do it. Exactly. And the other thing that stood out to me in that game also was Okabaji just wasn't getting the ball in the first half and wasn't getting just – I don't even think they were just denying him the ball that well because Miami kind of plays loose on defense. But – you can't have a first-team All-American uh, – listen, he's not he's, – he doesn't need, like, volume scoring. He's pretty efficient. You, he's got to get shots. He has to get shots. But instead, they kept on throwing it into McCormick. McCormick doesn't really have the best touch around the rim. And then in the second half, okabaji and Christian Br- uh, Braun finally got going. But it it just
1: – the first half in yeah, that it did, game. it did look like Miami had some momentum in the first half.
0: And the first half just – it just – it was really mind-boggling how Kansas was not doing more in that one. They were down 6 at halftime, but I thought those two things really stood out to me was the free throw shooting and how Okobaji, he finished with 18 as their leading scorer, but the bulk of it came in the second half.
1: Yeah, and well, if you if you take away Okobaji's threes, they were like 2 for 12 from 3. Like I think he was 2 for 2, but like they they, they couldn't they're not a great outside shooting team. It, beyond him, in the, at least so far from what we've seen in the tournament.
0: Five of 14 in that game from three, so 35, uh, just under 36%. But, yeah, you're
1: and right. And he was but, – but what I'm saying is that like he was two for two. I don't know what they were in the first half, but it wasn't good. And Miami was three for 21 from three. Villanova's not going to go three for 21 from three. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's – it's, it's –
0: so – This line right now, it opened at three and a half. Now obviously Justin Moore goes out with an injury for Villanova. This line opens at three and a half. It settled in at four and a half and it hasn't moved for a few days now. Now to me, everything I'm reading says money's coming in on on Villanova, or sorry, not Villanova, Kansas. So my thought process here is obviously People like Kansas, they're expecting them just to blow the doors off because is running, they've been running a short rotation as is, now you lose a guy who's, you know, I mean, you lose anybody. You're losing a guy who puts up 35 minutes a game. Now,
1: that's the problem that they have. It's not like, so Moore's such a hit or miss guy. Like they can have games for Moore where like he's good Moore and he he can carry them and win them games. Like he can be the most talented offensive player on the team and, and win them games. But he also has games where he he does not play well at all, and he kills them. They'll miss him defensively, and they'll miss him because they are not a deep team. They really only go six guys, seven maybe if you count Archie before Moore's out. So they're, I mean, their five guys are going to play like you know almost forty minutes, probably all of them.
0: Uh, yeah, um, and that that to me, <laughs> to me though. The, the thing that Villanova needed was they needed rest. Samuels was banged up, um, and Gillespie in the Sweet 16 game hit his knee that he had surgery and went out on last year. But to me, it all comes down to prep time with Villanova. You're giving Jay Wright, who I think is the better coach over Bill Self, he's getting five days to prep, and your two best players who are key to, to what you do, you're giving them time to heal. So Justin Moore, yes, he's a guy who the ball is actually the ball is in his hands a lot of times at the end of games instead of Gillespie because Moore has a little bit more of a diverse um, kind of north-south going at the hoop where Gillespie kind of does most of his damage at least coming um, when he posts guys up. But okay, Vonova has one five-star recruit who doesn't play. And he's the guy who's going to pick up some minutes here in this game. So Brian Anton, who for his entire Villanova career has been kind of injured, hasn't been able to get it going. He's the guy who's going to get a chance here, along with Archie Diakno and Longino. We'll see a few more minutes, uh, who's a freshman. But Brian Anton, who's a junior, and he's the only five-star recruiter on the Villanova roster, I think is going to get his chance here. And to me, he's got a little bit more size than... Uh, then more, but it, it's going to be interesting to see if he does anything when he needs to
1: play defensively, like they don't like the, he needs to do something where Villanova stays in the kind of rhythm that they stay in. So, if, I, if you look at all the, the different wins that teams had in the tournament, I think, with the exception of St. Peter's win against Kentucky and their win against Purdue, um, I think the best win in the tournament might have been. Villanova beating Houston because I th- I honestly think after watching that Houston team could was w- to me was the best second best third best team in the in the tournament and Villanova played Villanova's style against probably the best defensive team that I've seen um, perform and they just they they slow it down and they get their quality possessions and they didn't even like Moore didn't play that well. Um, uh, uh, even Gillespie didn't shoot the ball that that well in that game. Um, he only had six points, like you know. But but they defensively, they locked down. They did what they needed to do. And I think if they do that um, against Kansas, if they slow the game down against Kansas and the game is close late, that's all Villanova needs because then it becomes like who's making free throws, who's doing what, and it's like you can't it, it, if it's a back and forth game, close late. I, I like Villanova a lot. Other one more thing. Villanova has played Kansas as a significant underdog twice in the last 10 years in the NCAA tournament Beat them in the elite eight when Kansas was the number one team in the country the first year that Villanova won the national championship They ended up beating who else? North Carolina in the finals and the second year they played in the semifinals the number one Kansas team that had um I forget the name, the guard's name, but he was uh, uh, won the Naismith was a, an unbelievable scorer, and they shut him down, and won that game by 30 points. I mean, Bill Self versus Jay Wright. That's yeah. all I'm going to say. And with and with the added prep time, that's
0: where you, you side yeah. with with uh, Wright.
1: It's uh, like I definitely like Nova in this game, and it's Jay Wright, Bill Self. That's what I'm basing it on. It's like it, they're going to play Villanova's game. That's for sure.
0: All right, one last thing on Villanova that I think is important here is Houston obviously wasn't the greatest of shooting teams coming in, but Villanova runs them off the three point line. They go one of 20 from three point range, so 5% of the game. Now you might say, oh, well, Villanova like shot the ball well. Villanova didn't shoot the ball well at all. They were five of 21 from three for 23%, only 20, just under 29% from the field. So Villanova didn't even play their best game against a good defensive team. And they, I mean, if you looked at it, they were up by seven in halftime. Once I saw they were up by seven, I said, they're not going to lose this game. They shoot should, they should free throws too well. And you already kind of touched on some of the other things there where Gillespie didn't have his, necessarily have his greatest of games, but he was all over the place in there. And I think that's th- that was of the really utmost importance. Um, the guy who actually might see more minutes here is going to be Dixon, and he's going to have to stay out of foul trouble against McCormick. Or he touched on the, uh, that McCormick. Whether you feed him or not inside, he just doesn't have the greatest touch around the rim. But Dixon, a guy who we've mentioned on previous pods, he shoots the ball very well. He doesn't shoot a ton of threes, but he actually shoots close to 45%. If they could pull McCormick away from the rim, Vonov is, it's the five out a little bit at times. Uh, you know, I think it's, it's going to be a difficult matchup for Kansas while as many people are... Saying Kansas is going to walk into the final, I actually disagree. I think Villanova has the ability in their style, and the, and as well as they shoot the ball from three and their free throw shooting to kind of keep this game close and obviously win it outright if they if you know if certain things go their way.
1: Yeah, um, I, I, I'm definitely picking Nova in this game myself.
0: All right. So now on the other side of things, we have what is just once in a lifetime game.
1: Uh, we have. Duke, they... Such a a once-in-a-lifetime game that, um, as you informed me today, um, country music sensation Eric Church has canceled the concert to go watch the UNC-Duke college basketball semifinals.
0: Yeah, and what is... All right, what if I told you this was the hundredth time that they're playing in Coach, uh, Coach Krzyzewski's career?
1: I I did not know that, but that's pretty fortuitous. And it's also, uh, I wish I wish you had told me they played 99 times before the um, tournament because I would have uh, said, all right, Duke and uh, North Carolina in the semis, it is.
0: Yeah. So actually, the I didn't know that until today. So maybe it's maybe I just got
1: maybe I got deceived by a meme.
0: But yeah, 99 times. And actually, there I think. Duke right now is sitting on fifty wins with UNC as forty-nine wins, and their combined points over the hundred games is only off by like I think thirty points. It's it's wild how close it is. Um, yeah. one, one stat that I came across though, which again, unless I'm getting deceived by a meme or not, seems seems important, but then it also seems like it's a throwaway when you consider how many one and duns Duke has had. Past ten meetings, North Carolina has actually covered eight of the last ten against the spread. Uh, and their cover margin is by plus 11, so they're obviously, they're they're outscoring Duke over the past 10 games. But I also think that's, it's actually something that I don't give too much credence to when you consider, like I said, a lot of one and dones over the past few years of Duke. And this year in particular, um, you could say the best player on the floor is still Pangero. Um And Duke, both of these teams are, are playing well at the right time. Um, I would say UNC comes in a little bit hotter only because they had, they had the game at Cameron. That kind of flipped their switch for them. I know they lost in the, in the ACC tournament, but they came in in Coach uh last home game, uh, last career regular season game, and they, ever since then North Carolina seems to be a different team.
1: Yeah, this game has just such cool storylines. Hubert Davis, I'm really happy for. He seems like a like a really like likable coach. He's always a likable player. Um, you know, even when I was rooting against him, he was a likable player. Then he played for the Knicks, went in the pros, and he was likable. It's like the 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 storylines here kind of write themselves. It's like um, <laughs> like the 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 Duke squad it, it, making it this far. It's like that things had to kind of fall into place for them and they played some really close games early on in this tournament. Yeah. Um, and North Carolina, you know, that Michigan state game was a, was a real nail biter. And then, and then, um, followed by the, um, the the Texas tech game, which was another nail biter. Um, so I agree with you, Banchero's is the best, best player on the floor probably for, for, for understandable reasons. AJ, (coughs) AJ Griffin has played very, very well. Um, especially in the most recent game. Um, but the guy who, and the numbers aren't necessarily there, but the guy who has impressed me incredibly late in these games because he did it against Michigan State, played really well, and, they can, and then uh, was huge against Texas Tech is Roach. Roach is uh, – is, is, um, he's got uh, Sam Cassell-sized – Cajones late in games. He's hit some monster threes, and he's gotten them big buckets when they really, really, really needed them late in games. It's like his scoring isn't... isn't. He doesn't score a ton of points, but it seemed like when he would score, they were points that they desperately needed when they desperately needed them. And
0: Roach was a guy who was flipped into the starting lineup. Um, I don't
1: know... I, I think it was
0: actually the first game of the stort- tournament where he actually got put back into the starting lineup over heels. Um, yeah, but you're 100 100- yeah, Keel's still getting twenty-five yep. minutes a game. So, but, but yeah. yeah, you're you're 100 Ro- percent. And Roach, I in one of the games, I want to say it might have been the game against Arkansas. If they actually spoke about it that the way Roach was playing has ch- has changed. Um, also, where he's not settling for jump shots, he's attacking the rim, and, and good things are happening as, happening as a result. Um, UNC. One of the things that I think just kind of showing the the two sides of the season they've had, they had some bad losses early in the season. Back in December, they lose 98-69 to against Kentucky. Uh, then in January, they had back-to-back losses that were really, really just bad games. 85-57 to lose um, on the road at Miami. Come back four days later, they lose 98-76 to on the road at Wake Forest. Those were just really, really bad losses.
1: Um, Is that when Coach K took his... Uh took his little uh leave no no, no this is you this is UNC <laughs> oh UNC all and right. then they had and then they had a bad
0: loss uh in February mm-hmm. losing against Pittsburgh who has really just had a, a tumultuous season so and then after that Pittsburgh games um, things really clicked they've only lost one game since and that was in the um the ACC tournament against Virginia Tech um they I mean the Baylor game stands out because they well, first of all, the first round game they blew the doors off Marquette right off right from the jump. Marquette was never in that game come out against Baylor, they had them by
1: twenty four we've touched on this we tri- touched on this previously they it's like Baylor just never if Manic doesn't get ejected from that game, I think that game is 20 something points exactly. Easily. Um, and they didn't. And the game went to overtime. They
0: could have wilted, and they didn't. Then they come back. Um, they looked very much the part against UCLA, especially late in that game. Um, they have,
1: yeah, that was their most impressive win to me. Even more so than Baylor beating UCLA, because that UCLA team was was pretty stacked and and um, and had the experience level as well. I I had, like had, had said earlier. I really thought that, that UNC would give Baylor like way more than they thought they. They necessarily wanted in the second round, and and the
0: thing that stood out to me in both those games, the games against Baylor late, and then in against UCLA, North Carolina was making shots late, and it seemed like um, I just want to make sure I have the score right. It, I think it was uh, Caleb Love, who just he was pulling up from all over the place, and the like he you could tell he was just yeah this is exactly what I'm talking about. It was Caleb Love. He, um, the more he hit, you could tell he was just in the zone because he was just started pulling up from all over the place and he could not be stopped. He had 30 points in that game. Um, but yeah, that's what really makes this one interesting. It's, it's, I know it's Duke's actually favored by four, but to me, it's just like it's who, it's who you like more in this one. Baycott's had a great tournament, like we spoke about. He's been a walking double double. Uh, Manic is has has played well down the sh- throughout throughout as well. Um, they have a premier defender in Leaky Black, um, who doesn't do a ton of scoring, but he plays close to 40 minutes. And then the backcourt of Davis and and Love is is really very very good. And they have a guy who's got. Big shot making ability. I know you said it with um, with Roach compared him to Sam Cassell. Caleb Love is the guy who's matching him on the on for UNC.
1: Yeah, so so to to just get back to, to UNC, the <clears throat> the interesting thing about the three point shooting and between UNC and Duke is Duke has more guys who have <clears throat> better three point shooting percentages, right? They go Wendell Moore's forty percent, Baker's over forty percent, Archie Griffin's forty-five percent. Um, and then, like, I think Mark Williams is, is actually a great guy to have on your team because he he knows his role. He, just, he shoots 70% from the field, but he doesn't take any shots that are bad shots. It's mostly all dunks and little inside stuff. Defensively, he's really good, three blocks a game. But North Carolina's three-point shooting is really interesting because they don't have a single guy who you're like, that's a three-point knockdown specialist. But they have, like, five guys who shoot, like, 37%. Right, So what, what you're seeing is when they're all clicking together, which has happened for them in, in these early games, it's like they've become a really good three-point shooting team and, because they have the, the guys who can do it, and, and the, it's really difficult to stop because they can stretch teams out, and then, they can, and then you have Bako inside who, who can get you extra offensive rebounds, and, and they played well enough defensively. Manic can do a little bit of everything at the top of the key when he has the ball. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see. I think it really depends on how North Carolina is shooting the ball. I think that's the the way the game will flip will be based upon that.
0: I was just looking at the um, projected over-under in this one. The Sweet 16 and Elite 8 games, so that would be 11 games total? Is that right? Sweet 16 would be, yeah, so yeah. over... But for both rounds, every game but one, every game but one has gone under. And it makes me think with this one in particular, I said it in the Duke game against, um, uh, in the Elite Eight against. uh, Texas
1: Tech or, no, against. um, uh,
0: Sorry, yeah, I said it against Texas Tech in the Sweet 16 game. Was if Duke got into the 70s, Texas Tech will lose. Which Texas Tech looked apart in the first half, and then Duke in the second half really kind of turned it on. Duke, it was sim- well, it wasn't similar enough in Michigan State game, which I had mentioned on, on my the solo pod. Duke goes on like a twenty to four run at the end of the game. Duke can score in those spurts, but I think North Carolina can match them the way they're playing in the tournament right now. Um, you know, with like I said, their guards are not afraid to to pull up and shoot, uh, and Manic obviously is a really nice stretch four.
1: Um, and I think psychologically North Carolina has to be in a better place than everyone else they're you know they already they already beat Coach K in Cameron in some big pressure, you know, his last game. So that, like the, you know, the sort of the basketball gods thing and destiny and all that. I don't think that matters to UNC. I think it's a rivalry game to them, and they think that they are just as good, if not better, than Duke, as they proved it in the last game. So it's like it's really interesting because they, they you know, they both blew each other out on each other's home floors, and and um, and it'll be interesting to see what ends up happening in, in the when they actually. Meet in a on a neutral court and in this kind of a big pressure game. But the the, the other thing I will say is well, let's see how the, how the game is refereed because if Duke gets a lot of calls, if the if Coach K was all over the refs yep. in the Michigan State game, it almost made it like unwatchable at points. It was like how how much he was complaining in the Michigan State game. It's like, but it, it it worked for him because they really got some calls. The in the during that twenty to four run, that kind of put stopped Michigan in their tracks. Um, I think if you if if Duke gets a lot of calls and if Hubert Davis is a young coach and he doesn't work the refs the way he should early, um, I, then then you might uh, Duke might you know get uh, an advantage. that's difficult to it overcome. It will
0: also be now. Again, neither of these teams have these guys haven't been here before. Um, the only ones who I think in this entire Final Four who have been in this type of atmosphere are, Samuels didn't play, but Gillespie has obviously been there. The game's in the Superdome, and a lot of times you start to see in the Final Four games, the sight lines really kind of come into play a little bit. The Superdome being kind of a different animal, I'm looking at where these, these um, games are played. The um, North Carolina came from Philadelphia, so they played, I forget what it is, but the Sixers Arena. Um, And Duke played in San Francisco. I'm assuming at where the Warriors play, but again, those are basketball arenas. Whereas the Superdome is a football stadium. So sightlines come into play. The I, I immediately thought that this game would kind of be like would play to the higher pace and a higher scoring game. Duke North Carolina, but I think it really it'll be very telling in the first five minutes if one team is shooting significantly better than the other. Because, like I said, the sight lines could really play a part. And I don't think neither – I could be wrong, but neither one of those teams are elite shooting from the outside. And I, that's – that. it's going to play a pivotal point um, in that one. Villanova, I think, will shoot the ball well enough um, throughout on their side. But I think this Duke, North Carolina team with, with so many young players um, on both sides, I think it could play a part um, – in the in the big dome in the in the big dome.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I could see that happening. So, who do you like in this game? Who, who do I like in this game? So, the way I've actually watched Duke through
0: this tournament, um, I, it's it I've I've come into each game saying I need to see how they play at the beginning. And the Michigan State game stood out to me because like you said, I saw Coach K work in the refs and I immediately was just like, they're not gonna lose this game even though Michigan's hanging around because they're gonna be getting calls late in the game. Now this one, I'd like to think the Final Four, things like that don't play into it, but I think the coaching factor is significant in this matchup where Hubert Davis, he, I mean, listen, he's done a great coaching Great coaching job on the season. I mentioned it before, some of those early, like really bad losses they have. So for North Carolina to be here, it's really, really impressive. But I do think Duke is the better team. Um, I think they have the best player on the court. Um, and I think they just have depth. And I, as good as Baycott has been in this tournament, I really like Mark Williams to kind of neutralize him and kind of alter things at the rim because he's got such length. Whereas Baycott is. More of kind of that Julius Randall at Kentucky vibe, where he's um, not as tall, but he's really, really strong. Whereas Williams just has such length. I think he's gonna. I think he'll be um, if he's if he's able to stay out of foul trouble. And I, obviously, this goes same goes for Bake But I think I like I like Duke in this
1: one. I'm I'm with you, and I for the exact same reason. I completely agree with you. I think um, if Williams gives if if Williams stays out of foul trouble. And Baycott doesn't get him into foul trouble, and it, it comes down to to um, the two of them, and he doesn't get in foul trouble again. I think he he at least neutralizes him, and maybe that means 14 points and 11 rebounds, but you know, on more shots, working harder, defensively lagging a little bit on the other end. So it's like I, I think that it balances out, and I think we see Duke Villanova in the finals. And um, unfortunately for Villanova, neither of these teams are a particularly great matchup from a size perspective. But um, I guess we, we'll move to that when we eventually get there. But I um, I am going to go out on a limb and pick uh, a tiny, undersized, undermanned Villanova team. Jay Wright, who does it the right way, recruits four year guys. Coach Coach One and K, who who has. Spent the last 15 years of his career being becoming the coach he hated. Years before Jay Wright, who's who has done it the absolute right way and has built a dynasty doing it. And I think Villanova beats Duke in the national championship I will. game. I think Duke beats North Carolina, and that's such a huge game for them. It really is. It's the biggest college basketball game in, in you know, for, in, as far as rivalry and everything that goes into a Coach K's last game. And, it, of course, it happens against UNC. And I think the high of winning a game against North Carolina and then going into a game against an undermanned Villanova team, if Villanova were to win, I think Duke um, – maybe doesn't show up immediately in the first half and again it's one of those games where it's like nova controls possessions you have to show up early against villanova and you don't want them to get a lead so i'm gonna go ahead and say villanova over duke in the final
0: i had mentioned it on i think it was probably the west region pod ken palm numbers 25 top 25 on defense top 25 on offense there's only two teams left that meet that metric win the national championship the only team that's ever won a national championship in the Ken Palm era since 2002 is the Kemba Walker um UConn team Villanova and Kansas actually you are the only two that meet the metric UNC and Duke both do not have the defensive numbers to actually fit the mold of a national champion so yeah the Ken Palm metrics obviously side with um Villanova or Kansas winning the national championship. uh, Both of them top 25 offensive, both top 25 defenses also. Uh, UNC, I actually think is, I think Duke is like the number, I think uh, four offense in the country. They might've even jumped up a little bit since the tournament started. UNC, I think is the top uh, 25 offense, but defensively, neither one of them fit. Uh, The other stat here, and again, this is another Ken Palm one over the past 20 years. Uh, Baylor was the worst national champion in defensive metrics. Uh, they came in at 22 last year, um, and they were the they were like I said, the past 20 years they were the worst defensive metrics at 22. Uh, so defensively efficiency right now, can, uh, Kansas is at 17, Villanova at 18, uh, and then UNC at 39, Duke at 45. So again, those are two things for Ken Palm, we're matching national champions. Obviously, there's been one team. Uh, that has bucked both of those trends. Baylor last year on this defensive metric one. UConn Kemba team on the 25-25 one. Um But yeah, uh, it it seemed bizarre because Villanova kind of seems outmatched in, in these matchups here. Um, but yeah, we we've I, I've said it in the past um, few years. Tempo plays such a huge part in these games. Uh, in tournament games and upsets, not that it's an upset, but Villanova plays that part. They do not speed up for anyone. They do not. No, and, and they're not
1: going to be like fooled into playing someone else's game either. Exactly. Especially when they've only got five guys. And like I think they're going to slow it down even more. And we, you're going to see like like multiple twenty-seven second possessions. And we've seen
0: um, Kansas kind of be a little bit of Jekyll and Hyde. Like I said, the first half they did not look the part against Miami. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, you just have to play a complete game against them, and then yeah, on the other side of the bracket, me and you both obviously agree that, that the magnitude of Duke UNC—they've never met, they've never even met in a tournament to meet in the Final Four. Koschewski's final season, um, they exchange victories on a weight um, you know, uh, at each other's, um, on each other's campus, it's just, there's so many different storylines in this game, the magnitude of it, it almost has, like, a USA-Russia 1980 Olympics feel, where it's like, oh, there is a championship game after Arruzioni scored? I know, yeah, uh,
1: that's what I mean, and I think it's, it's that, that's like, like you couldn't ask for for a better like kind of setup with this if you're villanova you know obviously the injuries and everything else stinks but like the the, the one positive that you can maybe take out of it is there's no way they're going to have a game where more kills them <laughs> it, it, you're
0: not you're not wrong and daniel's like they, they,
1: they, they can take out that variable entirely and so they're not going to have a, a terrible more game and again i haven't been impressed with kansas enough to think that that um, to pick them to beat Villanova, I, I I was not that impressed with their wins so far. Um, they could have lost easily to Creighton. Um, I I just think Villanova and and I think Jay Wright is the better coach. And again, I think it's uh, if if Duke and and Villanova meet in the national championship, I think it's like the perfect um, the perfect send off for. Coach K's last 20 years would be losing to the guy he used to be. (laughs) (laughs) Losing to the guy who would recruit Christian Leitner and he would stay for four years. Shane Battier, and he would stay for four years. Um, You know, even Dunleavy stayed for for two or three. Uh, Jay Williams stayed for three years, and he was the best player I've ever seen. Like The most explosive player I've ever seen at Duke was Jay Williams and he left um after his junior year but like graduated like those guys that he used to recruit he does not recruit anymore and i think to truth be told i like i maybe i'm just being a little hopeful but i really hope that that uh it ends with like the guy he used to be beating him i'll
0: i'll go i mean really really good point there and it would be a very fitting ending if you actually look back, and I'm staring at the bracket, which is now it's just hitting me, Kansas beating Providence 66 to 61. They couldn't really pull away from Providence. Providence covered that game. Providence, who is kind of the the darling of the Big East this year, um, played incredibly well. They were over, they were they lost both games against Villanova. Providence, in a way, is kind of a poor man's Villanova. They don't shoot the ball well enough, but they kind of Exert their will on a game, Kansas couldn't pull away from them. Vonova shoots the ball better. They play better defense. And they obviously are a killer free throw shooting team. I I just, if Kansas doesn't throttle them and run away, run like just, I mean, just get out on constant fast breaks, kind of like the um, St. John's Big East tournament game, although they crumbled in the second half. I, I don't see how Kansas gets any sort of margin enough to pull away from Villanova in this one. And obviously, late in the game, I like I like Samuels and Gillespie. I um, also
1: say I also think um, the 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 experience of Villanova's team versus how young a team like um, Duke would be, and how kind of undisciplined at times a team like Kansas could be. It's like Villanova can lure them into taking dumb yeah. shots, like because Villanova's not going to not play their game. So you'll see. Kansas start to get you know like antsy because it's like they' they're, they're waiting. it's like we're not nobody's getting any shots off like what are we gonna do and that's that's when they get you because then you start taking bad shots when you don't need to take them you maybe pull up for for a, a 18-foot jump shot on a fast break you saw you see it happen against Nova a lot where it's like, like there are ways to beat this team but you just have to kind of stay within yourself and, and not dumb things it's like young players do dumb things and especially young players who are stars so you know we'll see what happens it'll be very interesting
0: four of the pillars of college basketball over the past 20 years meeting in the final four um, as much as there is plenty of upsets in this tournament I think a beautiful stage has been set for the final three games here um, so I concur I just an incredible ending to what has been a good season Uh, I'm Bob. I'm here with Bill. Adios, Bob. I think we'll be back after the championship game maybe to do a little recap on the rest of this tournament. Sounds good. See you there, Bill.